Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This call is being recorded. And you are listening to... The fast-moving SteelerFury.com podcast. I'm your host, always on the move. Where's Wilbur? I'd be Bradshaw to Ben. Uh, and with me to talk about the suddenly uh, vital and uh, successful Pittsburgh Steelers team is my cohort, as usual, FC. He's with us. How are you, sir? I'm absolutely splendid, as usual. <laughs> You're in full splendor. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And, uh, are you? Is it? Is it winter time down there? Did you guys get a little cold blast? We got a little cold blast, but right now, current temperature is seventy-two degrees. Oh yeah, that's not winter. <laughs> I, no. I'm in New Jersey, where it's, it's not it's not particularly winter-like, but it's dirty, you know. So it was forty-four and raining here yesterday. So I'm not gonna, you know. I'm sure there's people all around the United States who are like, I'd take 44 in rain. I'd take 44 in yeah. raining, right? <laughs> exactly. It was really cold yesterday. I was in New York City. Cold last night. Uh, so, anyway, enough of our weather forecasting. Um, how about your Pittsburgh Steelers? Let's talk a little bit about their uh, victory over the Cincinnati Bengals. Kind of a kind of a persistent Pittsburgh Steelers victory. Like, uh, you know, usually you can tell in the first five minutes if – Steelers look like they're on the way to victory. I mean, I've often said that. You can watch the first five minutes of any game, turn it off, and pretty much guess what's going to happen. This game is a little bit of an exception. Cincinnati rolled over the Steelers' defense early in that game, and even if you watched the whole first half, you might have not guessed what was going to happen in the end. What would you make of that? A lot of mental errors. Um, The team was a little bit shell-shocked when Tewitt went down. Uh, Then you had Johnson go down. but I understand too it went down in the first half and, and Johnson was a little bit later. Um, but the the thing is is the mistakes that we're making defensively were fixable. It was, you know, bad gap control, you know, a misread here or there. And uh, it was more mental mistakes. You can go to our little regular season comments at Stuart Fury, I think it went 140 pages. But uh, at halftime, I said the Steelers are going to kick seven field goals total and win this game 20. I was being sarcastic, kind of, 21-20. <laughs> but right. when I was just like, wow. Um, Got to give some credit to Cincinnati. Um, they played – if Cincinnati plays as hard against the Ravens next week as they played us this past week, I'll have no complaints. Um you know, there 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 was bright spots that I take out of the game that maybe other people won't. Um, Foster, you know, looked right. Whenever you I hear chest injury, I'm thinking, did he blow out a pack? Um, David DeCastro, when he uh, the first time, the perfect blew up DeCastro pulling. Whenever he basically got lowered lower than him, and you're taught as a young kid. 
if they're if you're doing if, if someone's trying to chop down your knees or chop you down as an offensive lineman point, you put your helmet right into his helmet and you drive that son of a bitch into the ground. And I never got the opportunity to do it. And I actually thought he might have fucking killed Montez Perfect when he did do it. I very few things have brought me out of my seat for the Steelers this year. That brought me out of my seat. That was one of that is a signature play for me with David DeCastro. He went from kind of soft and I was questioning him to he's now in like FC's my motherfucking man crew because that is something that shows you know that that that's offensive line play. I hate to say it. It's a nasty game, boys. And that right there I was I was like, yeah, we we got this game. We're going to win. There's we're not losing this game. And that's what I took from it. I mean, the I mean, I I, I was utterly impressed with several players. I mean, I, I thought already Burns played his lights out. I, I think Davis played lights out. I think Mitchell played hard. You know, you got to give credit to Shazier all over the field. Timmons with another humongous play. You know, Le'Veon Bell yeah. ran hard. It's they, the Steelers' problem was they were tentative on offense. I believe I really believe the play calling was tentative. I believe the execution was tentative. You know, all the way into the fourth quarter. And then they turned it on. You're, you, you can't be tentative against good teams or great teams. And Baltimore's a good team. So they can't be tentative this week. I mean, the execution can't be tentative. The play calling can't be tentative. The Steelers' goal should be to try to attempt to embarrass the Baltimore Ravens' defense this week. If you can hang 60, hang 60. They obviously are not going to be able to. But I went in attack, go for the throat mode from the first play of the game to the last play. Sure, and I mean, I'll, I'll even be satisfied if the results are still, you know, it's not like I think they're going to run up and down the field against Baltimore no matter which phase mindset they're in. But you have to think that the last, if you look back on what's gone wrong versus the Ravens the last couple of years, that tentativeness or, or, or conservative is not even really the right word. You know, trying to play mistake-free football at the expense of attacking the other team uh, whatever you want to call that, attrition football or whatever, that it doesn't seem to work as well against Baltimore because they're more or less built for that kind of a game. I don't know if they're built to spread them out and, and, and uh, you know, make them decide which poison they're going to take. I think if you, you know, if you give them some, uh, some things to think about early in the game, that can really open things up later. And that seems to be the reverse strategy of what we usually do against them. Um, and you know the, the game in Cincinnati was not a was not a great uh, foreshadowing because it's you know, they were very sort of tentative and poking in the beginning part of the game and then sort of open it up later. But I don't know. I feel like you come out and you attack them in multiple ways in your scripted plays and you see how they react to that and and, and act accordingly. But if you try to run it into Brandon Williams uh, for you know three and a half hours, I think that's a fail. And I think even the coach acknowledged that in the press conference this week. You know, he he said two things I thought were kind of interesting, more revealing than usual. One was he said that the you know, biggest issue that they have facing the Ravens is that they have to double-team that guy, and they don't usually have to double-team anyone in the NFL. Uh, and that puts restrictions on your run game, according to what he had to say. And the second thing was the reporter asked him to comment on something that players were already saying that they're prepared to run the ball against Baltimore and they'll be better this time. And, and he said, well, we haven't even seen them yet to talk to them about the game plan, so they have no idea what we're going to do, which, 
struck me as like a little bit of a, um, a crumb, a crumb of, tr- of truth from Tomlin coming. And I, I kind of have this feeling that they're going to do something different, whether or not it's more successful this week. What do you think about this? I think that they that uh, they recognize to win this division and to protect their home field that they are going to have to score points in the way that you score points is with aggressive play calling. That's, sure. that's really my, 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 my take from it. Um, aggressive play calling is not a reverse. You know, that's, that's not, you know, but aggressive play calling could be as simple as a shovel pass that you haven't shown at all this year. You know, yeah. it could be, you know, a, a run play of a set where you haven't shown something. It's just I, I want them to they think that they have to score a touchdown every time they possess the football. And that's what I, 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 I will not be shocked that if Tomlin comes into this game where, you know, in an ideal world where we, we get the opening kickoff, we have an 11-minute, you know, first quarter drive that ends in a touchdown. We kick the ball off. They go three and out. <laughs> you know, voila, <laughs> second quarter. That right. would probably be ideal yeah. for Tomlin. You know, kill the clock, you know. But, you know, if the opportunity's there where, you know, you're going to put Jimmy Smith out there with a eh, hammy and, you know, Timmy Coach showed me a little something last week, you know. He's maybe yeah. ready to take back over a role. You know, um, hey, Antonio Brown on a nine route, we're going to let our best wide receiver in the NFL maybe run a vert, maybe, you know, make a play. You know, um, hey, we attacked the middle seam off play action pass. Those are the things that the Sears have to continue to do. You can't, you know, run the pike. We're going to run the counter, and, you know, then we're going to hit the chuck down. You know, somehow, some way, Jesse James is going to beat C.J. Mosley in coverage. Or, you know, hey, I, I love that Roosevelt Knicks and Grimble are getting parts in the in the passing game, but a three yard check down that's a hundred percent, I'd much rather throw that seventeen yard deep comeback that might be eighty five percent percent, especially on third down and seven. I sure I don't want to the, the cash rate bat is my main point. Sure. I uh completely agree. I I watched a little bit of Sammy Coates off the ball, meaning uh, plays where he wasn't targeted. And uh, he, he ran some nice uh, in routes and a couple of other things. I noticed that, you know, Ben at that point in the game was kind of looking for Antonio Brown to sort of, uh, you know, it was a sort of late in the game crunch time. And I, I don't blame him for going to Antonio Brown. He was, he was running circles around Kirkpatrick. But I did notice Sammy Coach doing some good things in route running that I feel like at some point are going to pay off. Uh, and you're right, I feel like he's sort of turned the corner. Hey, um, by the way, uh, I, I, immediately after the Steelers' last game of 2015 season uh, last year, I wrote an article for the front page, which uh, I don't know if you can access the front page yet to go see it, but uh, in it I essentially counted down what I saw as being uh, the issues for the team from the least, the least uh, important to the most important. And I think I had as the top three uh, figuring out what to do about tight end. Uh, number two was uh, edge rusher, and number one was play calling from the offensive coordinator. And it sort of feels like we're we've now we've progressed through all the other issues this season: the wide receiver depth, the defensive line issues, the you know secondary fixes, and so on and so forth. Um, and 
And now we're right back kind of to where we were at the end of last year. We still have these three issues that haven't really come up with a big solution. It's a, it's a little bit of a help to have James Harrison playing every snap of the last two games. But do you think there's still a potential before this season is the regular season is over to kind of uh, work our way through these things? I know you, you don't think Ladarius Green is coming back anytime soon. I'll be shocked if he's back for the playoffs. That's, but I, as much as I'm one of the few believers still in, I think Jesse James can make just as many plays in the passing game. And people think that it's ridiculous. I just think the first thing that has to happen, and it's starting to really occur more and more, is Ramon Foster and David Castro can't get walked. If you want to know why Ben's flipping passes across the middle of the field and it's so quick and easy, hey, Ben, 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 it's the one throw in the game that if you don't step into and finish is going to stay on you, is, you know, the ball right across the middle of the field. And whenever you have to throw that off your back foot, that's when you get in trouble. And a lot of times Ben gets in trouble because, unfortunately, our interior offensive line are getting walked. That can't happen. And it's happening less and less and less. And Ben's getting more comfortable, you know, stepping into that five-step drop coming across the middle of the field. If you give Ben a pocket, he'll stay in it. But a lot of times he'll, he feels that he has to create the pocket, and he's right. I'm, I, our offensive line has done a good job. I believe they've given up 14 or 15 sacks this year. It's a great number. It really is. But a lot of it is we don't really run too many seven-step drops anymore at all. And our five-step drops are becoming more and more limited. And they've got to be a part of the pass again. Sure. Yeah. It's like, it, it, at one point, it was to try to, you know, protect those guys a little bit when they were banged up. But now that they're sort of rounding into health, it feels like, yeah, you're right, there, there ought to be some other options in the in the pass game. Um, speaking of this, you know, stepping up in the pocket or, or, or not, uh, you know, do you see – I'm going to take you back to the other question. The, the question I asked you, you kind of – why do teams continue to let Ben have the escape route to his right by running the edge guy, you know, past past the uh, Horn of Africa? Because when Ben gets a chance to step out to his right, as Tomlin said, he's seen that movie a few times before, it never ends well for the other guys. Uh, why do teams continue to let him? If you're me, I don't even go after Ben from that right side. Uh, you know, over Marcus Gilbert. I think he two gap that guy always to keep Ben from escaping out to the right, don't you? It's a real. It's a. It's 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 tough. Most uh, the the reason that you want if you if you attempt to Ben reads pretty quick and easy, and if you you know attempt to blitz Ben, you know off the left side of the formation. Okay, which right side? Um. <laughs> He's so big, he's so strong, and people don't want to hear this, but Marcus Gilbert actually does a really good job of moving his feet at right tackle. So a lot of times Ben can look and pass out the escape route when he's studying the formation. If you show blitz early, probably the only person that's really better at really making you pay for it is Tom Brady, and that's nothing against Ben. It's Tom Brady's precision, especially whenever he can read the defense. Peyton Manning has been, was in precision for the last four or five years because he couldn't throw the ball. He could not throw the ball the way he used to be able to throw the ball. Um, the reason teams continue to blitz him is teams don't want to change for one player. And 
that works against Tom Brady, that works against Aaron Rodgers, that works against Matthew Stafford, you know, that works against Andrew Luck. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work against Ben Roethlisberger because he's so fucking big and strong, and he's still mobile enough inside that pocket. You put him, you know, inside the tackle box, he's every bit as mobile as Russell Wilson or any quarterback you're going to name. Even more than those guys because he's so big that he can, you know, break tackles that most other defense or most other quarterbacks are just going fetal over. So Ben's competitive yeah. level, his size, the way the Steelers' offensive line is actually the, is is situated with the, David DeCastro's just becoming one of my favorite players. But he's mobile. He's athletic. Marcus Gore's mobile and athletic. They're able to make plays. Marquise Pouncey is mobile and athletic. You With blitzers, you got to read it out if you read it out. I, I wish I had a uh, – my main thing is, is teams probably do not want to change for one player, even though that one player is, you know, the one that can win or change the game the most, especially for the Steelers. Yeah. I just mean, if you can't really bend that – that right, that edge. If your left, you know, your left edge pass rusher can't really bend the edge, and I mean like at a at an elite level, um, you're not gonna, you, you know, you're you're not only not gonna get to him, he's gonna slip outside to the right and just kill you downfield. I mean that's the thing. It's like once he once he escapes out there, then he becomes the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. I mean according to the numbers, right? So right. I just don't I don't understand why they just don't. Treat him as if he's a running quarterback who likes to escape to his right. It can't be that different in terms of the, you know, the play selection, the you know, blitz selection or the pass rush rules that teams face in their game plan against him. But they don't. They still seem to give him that escape route. It's like, oh, as long as you're going to keep giving it to me, guys, I'm going to keep taking it and killing you. But uh, I remember it was one of the Super Bowls. I want to say it was the Arizona Super Bowl that. They talked about, well, teams have figured out now that you don't let him escape out to the right. Maybe that was 2010, where there was a lot of talk about that they were going to force Ben to his left and not not let him roll out to his right because of this uh, specific thing I'm talking about. But it seems like in the last couple of years, they've just given up on that strategy for some reason. Anyway, um, David DeCastro, speaking of David DeCastro and your newfound love for him, he just I heard that he has a thing with perfect that goes back to Pac-10 days, which I didn't realize that, that they're – you know, they, they before all of this stuff with Cincinnati the last couple of years, they already had feuds like this going in college. So I guess it's not that surprising that Castro plays nasty against the Bengals. I mean, there's no way of getting around saying that uh, the perfect I, – I think he's far and away the dirtiest player playing in the NFL. I don't think it's close. That's – you know, there there's people that will say there's – and I mean, you don't embarrass guys, and those are things that 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 he really that perfect really seems to like to do. Is not only you know he's a great player, but he also wants to embarrass you. And, you know, yeah. that's you don't take you yeah. embarrass a guy, you're taking food off his plate. You know, and that's not a smart idea. Well, you know, the, uh, in like a ten play span, he. He uh, basically cheap-shotted Ladarius Green. Uh, Green was in pass protection, uh, and and uh, it was on like you know he like he had let he let his pass rusher get by him. So then he kind of turned to Ben as if to say like you know want to throw it to me, but Ben was like three feet away from him. And Burfick, rather than rushing the passer there or or attempting to cover Green, just basically hit him from behind 
as hard as he could and shoved him into some other player, which, you know, hey, if I'm a defensive player, I suppose that's within the your, your rights to do that, but it, you know, it's still like in the course of things. Okay, that's, that was play number one. Second was he, had, he covered Rosie Nixon the flat and away from the play, after the ball was gone from the quarterback, he blindsided Rosie Nix, knocked him on the ground. Then a couple of plays later, he he uh, tackled Ben after the after Ben had handed off the ball was long gone, and then headbutted him afterwards. Then uh, just a few plays after that, he got into this uh, got into the uh, Castro's face while the Castro was on the ground. Gilbert knocked Perfect from behind on top of the Castro. Those two went at it, and then you know. Uh, Perfect, grabbed his, grabbed his face mask, you know, that basically should have had another unsportsmanlike penalty. This was all within the course of, like, ten plays, right? So, I, I guess I want to know, after last year's playoff game, the NFL came out and said, you know, we're, we're going to crack down on this, like, you know, cheap shots and unsportsmanlike behavior, and we're going to particularly have an eye out for the Steelers-Bengals. How is it that in the Steelers, first Steelers-Bengals game with Perfect that they – Essentially, turned a blind eye to the guy. <laughs> um, I I, you love these 50s. Oh, no, no, I, I mean, I, I was no, no, no. I was sitting there watching the game and thinking the same thing. How do they turn a blind eye to? I I I don't want to you know throw hyperbole out, but I counted five or six face masks on pass interference plays. Uh, you know, alone in, you know, the, the, in the first, first half. I mean, I mean, Sammy coast twice Antonio, you know, Brown once and um, Eli Rogers once by Fitz, um, the, the corner from Cincinnati, um, from Alabama, big tall kid. Uh, his Kirk name Patrick is, or the other guy? There you go. Kirkpatrick. He, he he absolutely face masks. Even Dan Fouts. Oh my God! I hope I never have to listen to another football game be announced by Dan Fouts again. We'll just slide that in there right now. But uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, they were brutal. Um, you know, it, 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 it imperfect. I mean, if you call everything on him, he probably would be ejected in the first quarter. Call everything on him. I mean, there's plays and there's plays where guys can get hurt. And I mean, hitting people from behind is like the biggest no-no in football. It's like I—I I mean, even scumbags pull up and you don't hit a guy from behind, and he just has absolutely zero like barometer for fair play. He just doesn't give a fuck, and it shows. It's—it's it's one thing to have your head on a swivel so that a guy can't earhole you from with a legal block. It's quite another to, to not to be thinking to yourself. You know, I'm out here in the flat as a safety valve option. The ball's gone from the quarterback, and then I'm going to get, you know, ear holes from behind. That's just the kind of thing it's like, you know, you can say he's a hard, tough football player, and there are plenty of times when James Harrison hit a guy hard, and you're like, wow, he hit that guy really hard, maybe harder than he needed to. But, you know, there's a, there's just, there's a line somewhere, and it's like pornography. I, I don't know exactly how to define it, but I know it when I see it. Not that I've ever right. seen it. But, you know, it just feels like there's this unfair, you know, an arbitrary way of they want they want to have this violence in the game, but yet they want to try to legislate all the violence out of it. And much like the pass interference rules or the catch rules, 
who knows how they're going to call it at any given moment. I can tell you this though, all that, all those missed face masks, all of the missed, you know, holdings against James Harrison over the course of the last ten years. If, if Antonio Antonio Brown thought about twerking after a touchdown, is fifteen. You know, <laughs> they, they have no problem figuring out how to enforce that bullshit. But in terms of I actual mean, penalties, how about Le'Veon like, Bell and Antonio Brown shake hands? And you know, hey, that's you know, uh, fifteen grand for peace for him. Since when is, and you know, Michael Bennett? To, I don't know if you heard this comment that he made after the game. They they said, um, Michael, were you surprised to get a penalty on that for your sack celebration? And he says, Oh, two pumps, you're pregnant. Three pumps is a fine. I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Bennett's sack celebration on national TV. I was like, oh, he didn't. He did. He didn't. He really did. Did yeah. say that? And I was like, wow. No yeah. fine. You got fine for the dance, not for the comment. I was, I was just well, like, this looks consistently inconsistent. The, the thing with Antonio Brown and, and Le'Veon Bell is people were like, well, it was a choreographed celebration. That wasn't a choreographed celebration. That's dap. This is the way guys shake hands. You know, it's like, come on, the guy shook his hand after a touchdown, please, you know. That, you, so, you that, that looked like circa 1940s football to me, you know. You score a touchdown, hey, good job there, buddy. <laughs> you know, and move along. Yeah, but... Yeah, you, know, you got these, you got old white guys making the rules that don't have content, you know. So speaking, said as an old white. They actually white, look like no. two old white guys after they scored. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, true enough. Um, so just to try to nail you down on the question before I let it go, and we move on to talk about this week. Sure. Um, you know this. Where do you think we stand with the edge rush situation and the? Uh, play calling on offense. To me, this is still still the two biggest issues we had to deal with. And, you know, edge rushing, like I said, with with James Harrison playing every snap at a, you know, at a, a ridiculously high level for an older guy and even a pretty good level for anybody, you know, it just sort of creeped back in the pressure business. Didn't see a lot of it last week. Although, you know, like I said, if they had called a couple of those absolutely egregious non-calls for holds, if they called a couple of those holding, maybe it would have looked a little better. But is, is it enough to have a fresh budget-free with his learning curve issues that he still has going on and a James Harrison on the other side with the occasional, you know, outside blitz from one of the interior linebackers? Is this enough for the Steelers to contend for a championship, which is really what we're talking about right now? My hope would be... What I wish I could do is I wish I could take, like, a little, like, electrical, like, anklets and put them on both Bud Dupree and Anthony Ciccolo's ankles. And every two times they speed rush and try to run the arc, I could shock them. I'd give, like, Joey Porter the controller just to shock the living fuck out of them when they were in a defensive huddle to let them know not to speed rush again. We're going to have to use at least four outside rushers. Um even when Tua comes back healthy. Chicklow's going to have to give this team snaps. Moses is going to have to give this team snaps. Harrison, if you're wearing – if you've got a bucket, if you're given a helmet and you get on the field, there's absolutely no reason why you can't play balls out. And that's what I would hope from Jones and Chicklow and Moats because those seem like the three guys that are the odd men out that are only going to be getting the eight, the ten, the 15 plays a game. But – those 8 to 10 or 15 plays a game got to be balls out. They can't be 
settling into the game or pouting because of the lack of playing time they're getting. And they got to be smart downs. I mean, um, Chicolo's get-off is great. And if he shows that get-off two or three times to a right tackle, that right tackle is leaning so hard on the outside of his right foot. And he is just bailing out. The only thing he has to do is one step and then rip it right back inside. And he has a clear path to the quarterback. I mean, that's yeah. – and the same thing can go for Bud Dupree. And that at this point, it got to be coaching. It just, it's 100%. They, it it got to be drilled into them because neither – you're not going to just – I think they showed Von Miller sacks from, you know, the left defensive end, left outside linebacker spot. And he beats offensive linemen back to the inside more than any pass rusher this year in the NFL. People have this idea that Von Miller is just – you know, running the arc and speed rushing like Pat Swilling in 1986. And it's just not true. You know, he stacks offensive linemen. And the reason he's able to do that at 235 pounds is he has them so far off balance just because they have to respect that speed. Yeah. Todd Haley's there. Todd Haley's the guy that said that he would run the ball 40 times in a row, and go for it on fourth down and eight if he thought he could get it with the run game. He is what he is. He's a direct disciple of Bill Parcells, which outside of Bill Belichick is the worst coaching tree in the history of football. The end. (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing is, he's supposedly known for being aggressive. You know, what what he will tell you is that when he was in Arizona, he was known for being aggressive, and therefore that's why he likes coaching under Mike Tomlin, because Mike's aggressive. But, was he aggressive, you know, or, or was it that that Wisenhut trick placer guy that was aggressive? You know what I mean? And I'm not looking to be confrontational. The, the the one thing about you know the Wisenhut years here in Pittsburgh, you know, he had no problems trying to break out some crazy shit from time to time, right? You know, and yeah. I think I think that Mike Tomlin is far less aggressive, especially in his play calling and the way he thinks, because people think because of the two-point conversions and stuff like that. I don't think he's as aggressive as a coach as a lot of people think he is. No, I mean, I think he's, uh, I mean, to me, if I'm breaking it down, and I'm, you know, obviously a very strong supporter, I I really actually believe in the coach more than the average Steeler fan, I guess. Right. You know, to me, the real that he has is the button. He has the finger on the button of the pulse of his team, like nobody else, maybe the best at that in the NFL. Eleven and one in December, right? Eleven and one in December. Yeah, Hard to argue. Just saying, they they build this the same formula. It pisses us off in the early part of the year when they they have guys starting over other guys and they're trying to feel their way through and they're trying to figure out what they're doing. And they one week they do this, one week they do that. But I just think like he, with both with the season and within the game, that he gets that. And I think the times when he goes against the book and what it's what seems obvious is almost always rooted, whether right or wrong, it's almost always rooted in his sense for his team. You know, he'll call a timeout at the wrong time to conserve seconds in the game if he feels like that's what his team needs in order to be able to get, you know, their act together, get their heads together, get a breath, whatever. So he'll you know, he'll mismanage the clock because it, it does something for him that you don't necessarily see from the 50,000-foot view. In terms of what he's not strong at, you know, I, I don't think he's, as you said, he's not aggressive in the times where you think that he ought to be. 
and he probably sometimes overthinks himself by being overly aggressive at times when he can just be conservative. And I mean, that's a major concession coming from B2B for the people that, you know, like to bash Tomlin. But I, you know, I, I don't think it's a huge weakness, but I do think that he, you know, sometimes if he played a coward close to the vest, might be better off in some situations, but he likes to go for the kill shot more than counting on Ben converting th- third and six at the end of the game like, you know, he did in 2007. And I, I think he had a couple of those, you know, late in the game, got to convert a third and six without stopping the clock situations since Tomlin's been here. And it feels like towards the beginning of his his uh, tenure, they were more likely to be super conservative with that. And towards the latter end of his tenure, so far they, they seem to be trending towards being more aggressive. So try to keep themselves out of that nowhere. That gets just like no man's land. Third and sixth game on the line, fourth quarter. That's tough, you know, for anybody. So anyway, I, I feel like the potential is there to want to attack and be aggressive, but I think he's way more likely to have that mindset on defense than he is on offense. He still sees offense as a tool to to make the game work for his defense. You know, you know what I mean? I do. He thinks he's a defensive coach. He thinks he's going to win or lose the game with defense, and he's using his offense to set up whatever he wants to do on defense, which is which is very weird. But, I, you know, I guess that's what we've done for the most part for, you know, since 1969. Just didn't work so well for you in 2009 and 2013. You defense <laughs> Anyway, um, all right. So we made it through edge rushers, Todd Haley and the tight ends. Good. Um, let's talk a little bit about this week's matchup against the Ravens. Jimmy Smith, do so you think he's going to play? Yes. Yeah, their defense, you know, like night and day without Jimmy Smith. Apparently, they they uh, there's something like top five in pass defense when Jimmy Smith has played, and they're number 24 or 25 in the league when he hasn't played. Right. This is, um, a, this is a big, big, big deal. Yeah, my question is real simple. What is Jimmy Smith going to do with Antonio Brown? And this, what he's going to do is he's going to look for help. <laughs> and I, that's not me talking <laughs> shit. That's nothing. You know, if you got a bad ankle, high ankle sprain, and you're going to attempt to cover Antonio Brown, good luck. You know, especially. You are not going to cover Antonio Brown. Right. So that automatically tells you you're going to have free safety help over the top. That's, you know, that's a given. You have to do it. So if if that's a fact, and I know where two of your defenders basically are going to be. I'm going to let you pretty much take um, Antonio Brown out of the game in a way. I'm going to make you – I'm going to force you to have those two defenders stick with Antonio Brown, and then it's Le'Veon Bell, it's, you know, Sanders, uh, it's Jesse James, it's Eli Rogers. Got to go out and win this football game. Ben got to make throws. Okay. Those guys got to go out and right, win this football game. Here's, here's the thing, though. In the last game against Baltimore – they not only double covered Antonio Brown with a you know high low kind of deal, but they were trying to bait Ben into picks by having a strong safety or a linebacker slide out underneath the throw, right? Mm-hmm. And they so they you know essentially triple teamed him. Mm-hmm. How is it that they were not able to get the ball to you know somebody in the slot or some tight end, you know not necessarily Eli Rogers or Jesse James, but 
somehow we they did not manage to attack that part of the field, even though the Ravens were basically you know giving them a lot of space there. We we couldn't Jesse James couldn't seem to get open. I don't know if Eli Rogers was hurt at that time, but it seemed like you know there wasn't time for Ben to even go to his number two read because the interior of the line was getting killed and so on. How do they? You know, how do we know they're going to be able to do it this time? They weren't able to do it last time. Ben's not coming off an injury. This isn't Ben's first game back, and that's not an excuse. You know, it, it, it means a lot. I mean, um, second thing, um, hopefully we're not running on first and second down and setting, down, setting up third down and eight where you can take away the ball control route to Antonio Brown. Ben forces the ball to A-B on third down. I know it. You know it. Everybody in Sealer Nation knows it. You know, Ben's first read on third down and whatever it is. If it's third down and three or more, it's Antonio Brown. Then he reads the secondary receiver. Then he reads Antonio Brown. Then he reads the second receiver. Then he reads the third receiver. <laughs> and it's back to Antonio Brown. Yeah, which, you know, Darius usually you can't argue the results week. too much. Right. Darius Hayward Bay, if he plays this week. Um, D'Angelo Williams. Every person on offense, just like every person on defense, you got to make – a contribution. Offensive line got to be perfect. You want to win the you want to win the fucking AFC North. Execution. No pre. If the Steelers play their game, town will win out. The Steelers are the more talented team, even without Ladarius Green, even without Darius Hayward Bay. You know, yeah. I see Ricardo Matthews limited participant this week. I don't think to it's going to go. I really don't. I think it's going to be all fucking hands on deck. I think you're going to see, you know, James Harrison slide down and play some five. You're going to see Bud Dupree slide down and play some five technique at times. I don't fear the Ravens run hey, game. Uh, the, um, I thought the next guy in was going to be uh, Villanueva. <laughs> you know, like if they had gotten down to the point where they needed one more guy, he's got to be the next guy. He, both, both our backup tackles. Uh, were former defensive tackles not that long ago either. Right. I don't think so, I, don't, I don't think they would have went that route. I think that what you would have probably seen is Moats. I, I they're not going to mess with the offensive line. They they, they that offensive too line too dangerous. Is I know, but it's like I just thought you know you have an emergency guy there maybe. That's all I was thinking. LT Warren gave the source some really good snaps. That, that's it would be sure a shame did. that he didn't get mentioned. And uh, he has gone from two hundred and eighty five pounder. To a 295 pounder, to a 310 pounder that head slapped James Harrison and almost knocked him the fuck out a month ago. That's a big boy. He seems to be, and um, I'll put it this way: I would not be shocked to see Lions get called up from the practice squad. Your boy, um, I can't say his first name. Yeah, yeah. Kashad you know Lions. Yeah. Yep. You now Kashad Lions. I mean, it, it, particularly if two, it's not going to go. Yeah. Although they're running out of, they're running out of roster spots. Um, right. But here's the question I was going to ask you: Does Jarvis Jones is he in danger of being inactive and maybe even on the bubble? Hasn't played a snap for two weeks. I really don't think they'll do it to him. I think they'll give him the opportunity to go on the IR. It's horrible. That's such a New England thing to say, but it's really a Steeler thing <laughs> to say. You know, um, because whoever you cut now, you're not going to give. They're not going to get up any part of a playoff share. And you got to vote to give him a ring. You don't want to do shit like that. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody slides on to the IR or something like that. Or you may see 
I would want it to be Fitzgerald Toussaint go, but it's not going to be. It's probably going to be Richardson, especially with Williams looking like he's healthy and ready to go. It's going to be one of those. Oh, yeah, running I forgot backs. about that. But we have an extra running back right now. Yeah, I forgot. Um, yeah, but well, you know, Anthony Chicolo, you know, with the ankle, you know, we're, you know, injuries are a concern heading into this week. For all we know, to it's going to go. If to it goes, that's a whole. This is a whole different ball game, especially if he goes and he's able to play. Because uh, first two plays in Cincinnati, I was just like, <laughs> they're in big trouble. Meaning Cincinnati, because the yeah. Steelers' defense just looked filthy. This looked nasty. They didn't look like they had an answer for to it. And whenever he went down, I think a little with the of the Steelers' momentum, you know. Got taken away in a way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it all depends on what kind of a you know strain he has, but I hope that no matter when he comes back, that he's able to get back to that level because he was playing at a different level the last right. couple of Obviously, weeks. Obviously, if we, if we win uh, this week, it's going to be Operation Shutdown. I mean, he ain't, he ain't playing. They'll let that knee get because he'll have basically almost a month to heal. You know, this week, next week, and a bye week if we if we win three seed. So. You know, yeah, the um, I mean, there's you know no actual buy if you get the three, but the getting the two and a and a real buy is even in play. I mean, you know, not too far fetched with me. I mean, I, I think if speaking of which, if Andrew Luck and the Colts somehow figure out a way to you know I mean, everybody else is kind of like eating up the Oakland defense to a degree, you would think that Luck and T.Y. Hilton and those guys can put up some points against Oakland. Maybe they can steal a win, and if they do that, well, I think it's really in play then if the Steelers went out. So. We shall see. Um, so, you know, the Ravens on, on the other side of the ball on offense, you know, it doesn't seem like they can really run it very effectively. Uh, and, you know, their passing game has been sort of hot and cold. They seem to they seem to know what to do against the Steelers to have success in the pass game. They're a little bit worried about their two tight ends. They didn't have one of them last time we played. Uh, and even though they weren't that successful against the Steelers, kind of feel like it's not like – we can expect the Ravens to only score six points this game. Uh, how, how do we stop what it is that the Ravens are going to try to do? First thing that the Steelers are going to have to do is make Joe Flacco uncomfortable. He can't, you know, have time to bake a cake back there. You know, uh, front seven is going to have to be blocks. Second thing is you're going to have to completely eliminate the, the, the Ravens' run game, which I have a very, very sneaky feeling that they think they're going to be able to work Dixon and uh, – and West against us this weekend. I really don't think that's going to be happening, but I wish them luck with it because uh, the more they want to attempt to run the ball at this defense, I think the more belief, momentum, and uh, they'll gain, the Steelers will gain. Um, third thing is, is um, I hope that Artie Burns learned his lesson from Mike Wallace where, you know, he can run, you know, and, uh, you know, he can run still. Um but other than that, yeah, but that's just, I mean, safeties. The safeties have to take a different kind of angle when, when Wallace is. They got to win. I mean, that's they, they, they can't miss tackles. And I mean, I think that the Ravens had a lot of things go right for them to win an ugly game against the Steelers, where uh, the way the Steelers are taking it and the way that. The overall overall feel of that game was is they absolutely destroyed us in that game, and I personally didn't really have that. 
feeling at all. <laughs> um, I, I, I I couldn't wait to play him again, you know. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is, and the game will be decided, you know, on the field. We lost that game, I believe, what was it, 21-14, you know? Yeah. And... Seriously, seriously, if Sammy Coates catches the ball, he's he's almost two yards behind the defender, and the ball is dropped in his hands. Now, granted, he's running full speed, and it's not – you know, it's not like sitting on your couch and catching a piece of popcorn. But if he catches that ball, they, the Ravens, despite the fact that they pretty much shut down the Steelers' offense for a half of football, are probably going to lose that game. Steelers came, were coming on at the end, and they, they kind of had enough points in the, in, the, in the bank. You know, it just feels like just, you can't think of it like they really they completely stomped the Steelers because the game's 60 minutes long, you know? Right. Uh, and- I have to think – this is a 60-minute football team. They've they've proven that throughout this year. Right, and I mean, if I, if I, my my memory's a little bit hazy on the game, but I think the Steelers outgained the Ravens in the game. I believe that uh, two receivers went over 100 yards in that game. Mike Wallace had a 95-yard touchdown catch. I think he had like two or three other catches in the game for like 30 yards. I think Eli Rogers actually went bonkers for the Steelers. I think he had like four or five catches for definitely over 100 yards, and he should have scored. Uh, but, you know, um, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think the Steelers are going to throttle the fucking Ravens. I'm just going to come out and say it. I just, if Tua plays, which I'm 50-50 on, I have no doubts in my mind the Steelers are going to throttle the Ravens. I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked more than I've been on this podcast probably ever. Actually, that's not true. Whenever fucking Brady Quinn led the, the Cleveland, that's still – but it'll be, it'll be in that same area, you know? Yeah, we weren't doing the podcast when uh, the Houston Texans beat Tommy Maddox and the Steelers. No. Uh, but that was the one that was just like – Where that we made them like 421 yards to like 36, and we lost? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that, oh, yep. yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so anything's possible. Right. That's for sure. I'm not um, guaranteeing a win by any stretch of imagination. But uh, let's just say I have a very good feeling about this game. I feel the same way about going into this game as I did against Kansas City Chiefs earlier this year. Yeah, well, it is, it's not exactly a night game, but because of the short, you know, we're almost the shortest day of the year, it's going to be virtually a night game for the Steelers playing at home. And they just don't, that environment, well, for a team that plays on emotion a lot, can really ride that wave. It's usually the situation that spells good news for them and, you know, bad news for Kansas City and and uh, so on. So, uh, as far as this year, let's um, let's move on to our Around the League segment, our pick segment brought to us by... We're going to go on a furious, fairly serious note this week. Um, how about we go with Alan Thick? We did last week. I mean, still, just shocking. Playing hockey with his kid and he passed away. The late, great, who... Anybody that works in media should take a lesson from Craig Sager, who I'm, I used to be a huge NBA fan, and wow, I was I a fan of Craig Sager. I loved his suits. I loved his panache. And uh, I think every media member could learn a lesson from Craig Sager where you don't you don't got to do, yeah. you know, gotcha journalism. You don't got to be breaking, and you don't got to be first. You just got to be classy, and you just got to communicate, you know, be the conduit between the athlete and the fan, and Craig Sager did it as well, if better than anyone, and I definitely hope he rests in peace. And also Dan Carpenter's wife and uh, Keith Tlaib's crazy-ass mom. 
<laughs> exactly. You know, I was thinking that King Philippe should maybe, you know, marry someone who's crazy as Dan Carpenter's wife. But that's a dangerous situation for him when you got a mom like that, you know. Then you'd have like a Vaughn says, perfect, like baby. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. Um, I don't have uh, lines in front of me. Got anything you like this week? Um, I like the Steelers, <laughs> even though we're given six. How about that? <laughs> is that shocking or what? The Steelers are given six yeah, points to the Ravens. So Vegas is yeah, actually like going to win by a whole field goal. <laughs> yeah, an extra field goal. Um, well, I, talk to me I about this. I just actually quickly it, jumped on my that, computer for you. And uh, since you're well, driving. The games that matter to the Steelers. Indianapolis at Oakland. What do you see happening there? Indianapolis at Oakland. Um, man, it's. You, you, you have to be scared, um, you know, uh, of Mr. Mack coming off the edge. And the, and the Colts' offense online is pretty putrid, but the Colts seem like the little offense that could. They're just they're plugging away. They're thumping teams. Um, and Mr. Luck has a pretty successful record in uh, December. And sorry, Derek Carr, your brother's David Carr, and you share genetics. I'm going to go with the Colts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going with the Colts. More... Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree are both dinged. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a, here's the thing. Uh, it's a little bit of a look-ahead game for them, I think. I think they clinch. Do they clinch if they win next week? Uh, no. But they, with a loss, with a Kansas City loss uh, and a victory next week against Denver, Oakland would, uh, would clinch the division. But, you know, who knows? I just feel like I, it may be more wishful thinking than anything else. But I kind of feel like Andrew Luck is the kind of quarterback that can give Oakland's defense problems right now. Uh, they seem to give up a lot of points in games like that. They they got killed by Drew Brees in week one uh, and, you know, managed to eke out the victory at the end. But uh, I'd like to see the Colts win, and I guess I'll, I guess I will uh, pick them to win as well. Miami at Buffalo, last time they played, uh, J.A.J. or J.A.J. scored, uh, I mean, he, I don't know how many points he scored, but he had over 200 yards rushing, um, much like Le'Veon Bell did. Is there anything Buffalo can do to to withstand Miami and maybe try to steal a win at home? Yes, the weather. (laughs) I I mean, Miami traditionally does not travel well outside of 1985 whenever they knocked off the Bears in Chicago um, in Week 11. But uh, Miami, that's horrible in cold weather conditions. I think Rex Ryan's done. I think Rex Ryan knows he's done. And I think that uh, there are certain players on the Buffalo Bills that are going to try to have – unbelievable amounts of success despite Rex Ryan. And whenever I say that, um, I think what Rex Ryan has done with T-Mobile, quarterback in Buffalo, is criminal. You know, um, And also, I think what uh, Rex Ryan's done with Robert Woods, a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, is criminal. Um, and I think that any person that would even consider having him a part of the, the organization, if you want to – you can just go look at the quotes about what uh, – what Mr. Rick Ryan has had to say about him. I, I've, com- he's com- I've completely lost all respect for him, and I wouldn't hire him to fucking wash jockstraps for the Pittsburgh Steelers after the Bills fire him. So I think the Bills are going to come out and play balls out because they have a great owner in Terry Pagulia. You'll never hear me really talk about Buffalo, but he's a great sports guy, and he's great for sports teams. Gave 
ninety million dollars to Penn State to build him a hockey uh, little hockey complex. He owns the Buffalo Sabers through Buku money at them, and he's tempted to do the same thing with the Bills. So I'm going to take the Bills just because of the classy owner and because Miami's a hot weather team and because it's going to be cold as fuck. <laughs> Excellent. Like those are all fine reasons. Uh, I've forgotten who Kansas City plays this week. Do you want to help me out? Absolutely, sir. They, they play San Diego, or is that next week? I'm trying to figure out if we got a chance to get a Kansas City loss this week. Yeah, we. I mean, it, it, it would be brilliant. Um, the, bu, 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 bu. I'm trying to find out. I know who the They're Chiefs good. play. Uh, oh, oh, they play Denver in Kansas City. Uh, okay, there we go. Uh, what? I don't know. Denver's Denver looks like a team that could easily not win another game this year, um, just because their schedule is very tough. Uh, they have Kansas City and Oakland left, I guess, right? So, uh, what do you what do you think in terms of your Denver Broncos? Didn't really like what I saw out of them the last couple of weeks. Man, I watched, and I seen Kansas City play the last couple of weeks, and I know that they, the Titans and Falcons. You know, you can say what you want about the two teams, but wow, the Chiefs are winning ugly games. You can only win so many games with a, a handoff to that piece of shit, Tyree Hill. And you can only, you know, run fake punts, you know, to beat the Atlanta Falcons so many times. But Fat Andy seems to get away with it until the playoffs start, and then it all becomes unwind. Um, I'm going to take the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Uh, I just, Denver's offense. And anybody that wants to put the blame on Trevor Simeon, I think that Thomas and Sanders combined for eight or nine drops last week. So, yeah, it was it was not pretty. Not pretty. Uh, you got to help your guy out. You got a young quarterback. You got to catch everything. But you know, it's it's I, I know how it is. It's like when you when you play with a great quarterback, one subtlety that people don't always realize is that you're you're getting a good ball to catch delivered in the right spot most of the time makes it so much easier as a receiver than when you're kind of guessing and stabbing at the ball because you're not 100 percent sure where it's going to go and that uh that that takes a little while to build up that rapport with a guy you know even as well as Simeon has played he's you know, still not a guy who is going to be as dependable a thrower of catchable footballs but i you know we need denver to win this game really if, if kansas city wins this week against Denver, I don't think we're going to catch them no matter what the Steelers do. So, uh, you know, in terms of that number two seed dream, it's a big game for the Steelers. Uh, both these games, the, the Oakland, Oakland Colts and Kansas City uh, with Denver, you know, I mean, we'll get really lucky and get the parlay, get a victory against Baltimore and uh, be sitting in the driver's seat for the two seed maybe. But, uh I don't know. I kind of see Kansas City winning at home somehow. With like you said, Fat Andy regular season at home, pretty tough to pick against him. Um, I don't know what else. Did you you saw the? I mean, not the Pro Bowl rosters mean anything, uh, but you know, beyond the name reputation thing, were you a little surprised that Ben was picked? No, I was. No, no, not really. I mean, I think that. Uh that he was passed over previously when he deserved to go. And I think, like, uh, Ben's a little bit now on the, you know, get his reputation back tour a little bit. You know, he's been married for seven or eight years. you got, like, three kids. 
You know, he's very, 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 very good about supporting the right organizations. And whenever I say that, you see everything that he's involved with from Make-A-Wish to, you know, the canines for the police, you know, uh, the, the, the safety things for the military, you know, getting them, you know, outfitted with, you know, proper body armor, and, you know, helping with that. He's just a, I think that Ben was a little bit of a fucking wild and crazy guy and got in situations where I don't think he's a scumbag that a lot of people ever portray him to be. So I think that it, that people are starting to come around to that. Did he deserve to get the Pro Bowl this year? Absolutely. Did I think he was going to make it? I thought they would find a reason to fuck him. Was I shocked that he made it? No. It's just, no, that's it's, the thing. I, I think right. I felt he was deserving. I just was surprised that they picked him. Sure. You know, um, how many Steelers starters are there, you know, on that AFC Pro Bowl roster? You know, and five, you, five yeah. You know, so, you know, that's – I think anybody deserved to make it from the defense this year. Eh, not really. It's horrible to say, but not really. You could have made a very strong fight for Ryan Shazier. Ooh, listen to the people in the podcast clapping their hands. Um, he's made this, he's continued to make splash plays. Lawrence Timmons is as as well. You know. Yeah, and I would say two and two. Those three guys I felt had a real legitimate shot, but right. two is never going to get that. Being a being a three four. Defensive lineman. Just you should know, reference Smith's career, and just he'll, he's going to get paid very, very well for a very, very long time. But he's not going to get the accolades that he ever deserves. But he'll probably end up having, you know, a Super Bowl ring or two. How about how about that? That, that Aaron Smith—I forget what he was, number two or number three—all time for the Steelers in terms of the amount of money total that he made in his career. Mm-hmm. How, how nobody would have thought that. That's that's a crazy. Uh, good agent. Because he was a good player. Yeah. <laughs> Kept his nose clean. Yeah. You know. Perfect fit. Right. He's a perfect fit. That's why more than anything. And anyway, yeah, great player. I'm not. I'm not begrudging him the money at all. It's surprising. Um, but they've only had one four defensive end that was better against the run. And yeah, that's quite a statement. <laughs> yep. Yeah, a lot of guys. A lot of guys have come and gone. He's really been the best. It's true. Um, all right, well, that does it for our our pick segment. Pick segment <laughs> America. Um, so, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, my job to go first. Uh, I'm, you know, here's, here's the way this works on the podcast. I, the last, pretty much whenever I think the game is going to be a blowout, uh, the Steelers, you know, have a nail biter or or drop a piece of poop in the can. You know, I'm uh, I'm reluctant to go that way again, even though I feel like there's always a possibility. You're playing at home, you're playing at night, you're playing against a team that you know you know pretty much a must-win game. It's basically a playoff atmosphere for the Steelers. Uh, but the, you know, to the Ravens' defense, they're basically built to beat the Steelers with the with the healthy Jimmy Smith. They're really set up on defense to stop what the Steelers like to do most and force them into do things, doing things that they don't like to do as much. Um, so for that reason, I think it keeps the score down a little bit. Whether or not we, we choose to play attrition football, I don't think it's an easy run up and down the field game against the Ravens ever because of what their front seven is like uh, and how we seem to have some issues moving them in the run game and stopping them, you know, getting pressure in the, in the pass game. So, just based on that alone, even if 
know, they trotted out their uh, a horrific secondary without Jimmy Smith. He's still not uh, cut and dry that the Steelers' offense are going to put up an extraordinary number of points. Um, I think I, I heard that their average is 25 or 26 points a game this season. I think the Steelers put up 24 against the Ravens, and I think the Ravens probably, you know, put up something on order 19. I'll call it 24-19 Steelers. I don't think it's a real nail-biter, a game that the Steelers should control, but one of those games where they're going to have a hard time getting up by enough that the game is clearly over before the end of the game, even though I think the Steelers are a better football team and going to come out sharp and play a good game. It's the Ravens. Even a five-point victory at this point would seem like a blowout, considering the games we've played with them in the recent past. So I'll take the Steelers 24-19. Fine job, sir. Fine, fine job. I think the Steelers 27-13. Ben's going to throw a pick six. Uh, that's how the Ravens are going to score their touchdown. They'll get two bullshit field goals on drives where the Steelers make some type of mental mistake. Uh, defensively, drop a coverage, something like that. Um, I think Baltimore's going to attempt to run the ball, and the Steelers are going to have very little success. Um, I think the Steelers' offensive line is going to be very, very inspired for this game. Um, Antonio Brown, Eli Rogers, you know, whoever it is, um, the Steelers are going to make plays. Um, they're going to make plays for Ben. Um, they're going to make plays for that crowd that's there on, you know, Christmas day, you know, um, it's, this is a Steelers type of game. This is the type of game that Mike Tomlin traditionally wins. You know, there, there's a reason why he's 11 and one in December folks. Um, he gets the teams, they build, they build, they build. They haven't finished, but uh, they finished the regular season, and I feel that they're going to finish the regular season in this game. Um, you know, do I have some fears? No. And maybe that should concern everyone, because generally when I'm this confident, the Steelers come out and lay an egg, but I just don't see it happening. I really don't see it happening. I think the Steelers yeah. will end the Baltimore Ravens' playoff hopes. Uh, on Sunday, and uh, I'm not going to say why, but in the next podcast, I'll explain. I know that they'll, even if the Steelers beat them, they still have playoff chances. Those playoff chances will die on Sunday. Yeah, well, I think they need to, they need Miami to lose two games or something, or three games, so chances are uh, if, if Baltimore loses this game, they're, they got very slim hopes anyway, but I'd like them, I'd like them to you know, I like that idea of taking, getting your division opponents late in the year and, you know, sending them back to the drawing board at the end of the season. You know, that feels like uh, getting a leg up on next year, you know, as a bonus. Winning the game by one point is the only thing that really matters right now, but it, it, it would be nice to send them a message that whatever they're doing to try to beat the Steelers and be a better team than them in December is not working and that they have to start something new. That would be the... That'd be the great. I'd love for them to have some questions about what they're doing when they go into the off season and not get anything momentum building towards the end of the year. Um, so anyway, I buy that. Uh, I'll give you a last thought, man. Go for it. It's Christmas. Just remember, two things that go very well together on Christmas are vodka and Valium. Put up with everybody. Just and if people give you a problem with watching the Sealer game. You know, on Christmas, you know, chances are, unless you live on the West Coast, your dinner is going to be fucked up. It's all right. 
you know, to uh, ignore everybody and watch the Steelers. It's it's fine. You got the FCC of approval. That's all. We, we give some we give some very mixed life advice on this show. You know what I mean? Like drive safely, don't drink and drive, but also you know do Valium. You might need the Valium for the game. Just have a designated driver. There's nothing wrong with getting fucked up if you have a designated driver. It's the American way. Call Lyft. Yeah. Notice I went with Lyft and not the other place that you don't like. Uh-huh. Yes. I pay attention. Yeah, baby. Good, good work, my friend. Good work. Well, my final thought is, uh, I really couldn't think of anything. You know, my life's pretty good right now. I couldn't think of anything I really wanted for Christmas, except for health and happiness for uh, for uh, all of us in, in the my friends and family and Steeler Nation and some peace for the world, maybe. But really, all I wanted personally was a Steelers win against the Ravens <laughs> to make for a happy Christmas for everybody. So on behalf of uh, FC and Steel Fury and the folks at SteelFury.com, I'm just going like, to talk to you after a gigantic Steelers victory on Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, go get them, Steelers. Go Steelers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.